listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. And so the Enlightened One said, and having entered the stream of Dharma, the practitioner regularly examines his or, own, his or her own heart and sees this is the freedom thus won. And these are the fetters, the entanglements still to be released in me. It's a beautiful statement by the Buddha that I think really kind of encapsulates much of where this work takes us. We essentially, in this practice, we start off looking at something's not quite right. Something's not quite right. This, this experience that I'm having, you know, I should be happy, but uh, something, something's missing. Something's missing. And so we recognize that there is a problem. And then what we recognize in that problem is that there is a way out of the problem. Step two, if you will. Step one, there's a problem. Step two, there's a way, bless you, a way out of the problem. And step three is integrating that way out into life. So this one, two, three step process, as much as we can articulate its simplicity, is actually very, very tricky. Because in the process of uncovering the problem, we begin to see, at the beginning at least, almost perpetually, look at all this stuff I gotta, I, I gotta get rid of. Look at all these entanglements. Look at all these fetters. So, where we went in the reading, I think births this aspect of the journey. This next phase of the journey is taking a recognition of the problem, a recognition of the way out, and bringing it together. As a review, what is the problem? The problem, essentially, is that I, or you, or any one of us, tends to become attached to our separate self-sense. We become addicted, if you will, to that in us which feels separate. We call it the ego. Okay? It's where we miss the mark. We miss the mark of opening, and instead we kind of, there's a bit of closure. Sometimes it's intense. Sometimes it's, uh, it's, it's medium. Sometimes it's almost non-existent. But missing the mark of this openness, by the way, do you know what... Uh, what uh, I think it was the Latin phrase for missing the mark is? It's sin. Is that interesting? So if we were to look in any kind of, uh, at least in the Christian tradition, the next time you hear the word sin or sinner, the entire context of that accusation, if you will, takes on a different, a different flavor if you look at it as egotist. 
Okay. Whenever you hear sin, ah, ego. Essentially, it's that in us which feels separate. When we kind of hunker down, bunker down, and live in a place of perpetual threat and try to defend from there, that's the problem. All right? That's the sin. When we start seeing through that, when we start fearlessly walking out of the bunker, when we open from our own personal hunker into that which is always already there, that space between the thoughts, put real simply, when we stop perpetually identifying with the thinking that's going on. We have an orientation that begins to develop that is essentially this vastness between our thoughts. Every one of us can experience this when we sit in meditation. We sit and just watch our mind. Boom, there's a thought, and then it fades. And usually it's followed real closely by another thought, and then it fades, and another one, and sometimes another one, and another one, and another one. But over time, if we give our attention to that process, the thoughts begin to come fewer and further between. And the space between those thoughts is precisely identical to that which is aware of our breath, to that which is aware of our experience, the awareness of our experience, not the experience itself, but the awareness of the experience is enlightened mind, is Buddha mind. So we practice resting there, just in awareness. And this takes on a very, very interesting, or how do I want to say it? This offers us a very open, peaceful, blissful perspective if we have the strength and the courage to take it. This allows us to, in other words, watch our experience, become the watcher of our experience instead of being caught by the experience itself. That gives us a choice. We're either whipped around by life or we have total presence in life and can pick and choose how we want to engage, how we want to respond. What, after all, is Buddha? An appropriate response. Love that definition. It's an appropriate response. And this ties in beautifully with Suzuki Roshi's great line, strictly speaking, there are no enlightened people. There is only enlightened activity. One who continually acts from a place of awakening, we see as being an enlightened being. They shimmer. They radiate, okay? When essentially all they're doing is sewing together moment by moment by moment appropriate responses to whatever arises. They're not trying to be something. 
They're not trying to do anything other than what is presenting, engaging rather, with what is presenting itself. They're not trying to construct, to attach, to, they're just responding constructively, compassionately, wisely, helpfully. I know that's not a word, but you get the idea. They're trying to respond from that place without even trying. It just flows. They accept life as it is. They recognize that the biscuits they're making are just fine. They don't have to taste like Pillsbury biscuits in order to be good, or Bisquick biscuits to be good. You don't have to be a good Buddhist, or a good Christian, or a good Muslim, or a good pick your whichever. We just live from this place. Our heroics, Jack Kornfield says on page 165 in his book, After the Ecstasy, the Laundry, our heroics become a fearless love for the whole of creation, leaving nothing out. We can be present for what Zorba, the Greek, called, quote, the whole catastrophe. Our life, it's just fine for our life to become one continuous mistake. Just one continuous error means that right there, that sin, if you will, that ego, if you will, becomes our teacher continually, whether it's ours or another's. Of course, it's easier to see another's. It's usually much easier to find another person being a sinner or being an egoer. <laughs> but egos tend to bring out egos. Unconsciousness tends to bring out unconsciousness. Unconsciousness is petrified of consciousness. So just as a trick, or as a practice, I should say, in life, the next time you see, feel, or whatever, the next time you sense unconsciousness, Get present. Watch your response to it. Okay? Do you feel yourself leaning in, wanting to go after it, attack? Or do you feel yourself avoiding? Both moves miss the mark. Both moves are sin. Both moves are the moves of ego. Instead, and this word's going to seem really funny here, we renounce the entire experiential reality by doing the following. We sit there, this is going to sound really familiar to you guys, we sit there in the presence of someone's unconsciousness and we don't go after it and we don't avoid it. We meet it with total relaxation, absolute peace. Then we respond. In this way we're not caught by another's unconsciousness. When we get good at that, we can do it on our own to ourselves. When we see or feel tension, resistance arising, when we feel clinging, we can watch it with total relaxation. Not going after it, trying to go into hand-to-hand -hand combat, not trying to run away from it. We face it. We accept it. 
we meet it with our full attention and relaxation, and then we respond to it. And chances are, if there's total relaxation meeting our own unconsciousness or another's unconsciousness, the only thing that can come out of that experience is an appropriate response. Buddha is thus born. Awakening is thus expressed. We renounce, not by denying, which is the typical way that egos love to look at that, that concept of renunciation. It's like, I don't want to renounce anything. I'm not, no, I like being in the world. Great. Renounce, then, a sinful or egoic relationship with the world. Come from the bigger place. Instead of orienting everything from the small self, come from the big self. Let the big self begin to inform and break apart, burn away the small self. And live from there. Live from there. This is how maturity develops in our spirituality. A maturity kind of unfolds in our work. We're no longer bound by what it means to be a good Buddhist. We're no longer bound by not sinning. We're no longer bound by right and wrong, yes, no, black, white. We actually have a relationship to all that stuff that is broader. It doesn't mean we deny right and wrong at all. It means that we come at it from a different relationship entirely. William Blake said, To those who enter the gates of heaven, they are not beings who have no passions, who have curbed the passions, but those who have cultivated an understanding of them. What we're talking about here, living the life of a bodhisattva, in other words, living the life of saints, is retooling our relationship to all the things we feel most strongly about, all the passions that we have. We renounce them. Not by denying them, we renounce them by, by becoming increasingly intimate with them. We don't go after them, try to knock them down, push them away. Okay? We also don't avoid them. We meet them with every bit of our being. Thus Buddha is born. Thus awakening unfolds. And when we do this, we shift from dogma. We move away from the ideals of what should and shouldn't be. And we let our own personal experience point us in the direction of truth. Not my truth, not your truth, not a personal truth, but the impersonal truth of infinity. What if your life is a mess? Your relationships are a mess. If you're overweight. If you're overweight. I mean, what do you do? Where's 
Well, the self-system, the whole self, you know, the body, the mind, the emotional life, the thoughts, all that stuff, that self-system, your name, all those things, your memories, your plans, that whole system is the vehicle for awakening. Okay? So it's important to take care of the vehicle. It's very important to take care of the vehicle. It can also go overboard. But you said you should, you should want to accept it. Right. You shouldn't push or go after it. Well, then I should stop doing push-ups and not worry about what I eat, right? You should stop doing push-ups and worry about what you eat. Sure, you could do that, but that sounds like an attachment. But the other is, that's what's motivating me. Well, in other words... The attachment. You, okay, is it the attachment that is motivating you? To want to be in shape, to want to be solid, to want not put the weight back on. Right. That's being attached to something. Well, if you're attaching to it, chances are you're going to defile the entire experience. If, on the other hand, you set a goal and then let go of it, doesn't mean you don't still work out, doesn't mean you, still, you don't still try to participate fully to improve, as you say, the self. That's really important. Actually, structure is really good for some personalities. It helps actually harden the vehicle so that it can actually drive into this fire. Okay? Other people cannot handle the structure building stuff. It depends on the personality. It depends on, it depends on the personality. One personality might need a little bit of a punch. You know, come on, come on. Another might absolutely revolt at that type of encouragement. Okay? You are your own spiritual alchemist. You're the one who knows what you need. The self-system knows what it needs, actually, to awaken. The ego will try to sabotage it at every single step. Because the minute you awaken, ego takes a secondary or tertiary role in the entire self-system. Why not just give up everything and just be, try to be aware? Forget about the car, the wife, the weight, mm -hmm. everything. And just, just go from there. As long... If, if you do that, if you get what you're talking about, right. nothing matters. You can just look at the sky and be okay, right? No. That's not what I'm saying. Actually, if you f could you forget about the car, the kid, the what? Could you actually forget about them? Sometimes you might. Yeah, right. And there's a way to do that. Okay, go get thee to a nunnery. You know, we go to the cave, we go to the monastery, whatever, and we just cut it all off. And you know what? That is really, really effective. Okay, but I don't think it's necessary. This is, this is where, where my version of the teaching is going. I really think it's totally possible in this world, in this life, to get on a direct path to awakening. No matter where you are in your life. No matter what torturous situation you're in. No matter how good everything's going. If this is about just letting it all go and staring at the sky, that is a really, really clever way for the ego to disengage, to avoid, all right? If we attach to, if, in other words, if we attach to non-attachment, 
what do we have? Delusion. So it's, it's like not wanting to do that. It's kind of running. Yeah. Like, That's right. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's okay, right? Sure. It's it's watch yourself run. But guess what's going to happen if you really watch yourself run? You're going to recognize what you're doing. And that in you, which is truly divine, will express itself through that delusion in a really beautiful way. You could try it out if you want. You could try it out if you want. But what I would say is that rather than trying to cut the world off, I would say... You, you have the same amount of opportunity to awaken right here, right now, with all your hell and heaven, right now, as you do if you're running away from the entire thing. You have just as much opportunity. It's not going to be any different. Our work really becomes, can we become really intimate with what we have right now? Because that's the only time you'll ever awaken, is right now. Awakening does not happen in the future. If I do this, 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 I'll awaken. No. Awakening happens if, right now, there is total focus, total attention paid to relaxation in this moment without going after anything and out, without avoiding anything. That's the middle way. <laughs> That's the middle way. Keep on trucking. <laughs>